Welcome to Sergey Ross Show. This is the very first video interview that I've done so far. I've been running my podcast on in audio only mode, but I really wanted to get on camera. I love that. Now we are talking to Merlun Rodriguez, who is the head of marketing at Flex Day. He is an incredible guy who gained a lot in self-mastery, self-awareness. He took a ton of risks in his career consciously and he had a ton of failures, but he learned so much from them that allowed him to design the life for himself that he truly enjoys. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom in this interview. Here's Merlun. My today's guest has been leading marketing teams for more than eight years at, at Toronto Startups. He's obsessed with being top five or top three in anything he does. He purposely designed a lifestyle for himself that allows him to do what he loves the most. And he's got a reputation of delivering results when it matters and solving unstructured problems. Marlon Rodriguez. Marlon, it's a pleasure to have you here on the show. This is so great. Um, yeah, I'm happy to sit down with you. This is our first video. Your first video? It is. First time you've been sitting with oysters? <laughs> <laughs> first time with oysters. First time yeah, doing this a video. Yeah, it's going to be fun. For sure. The last time we talked, you described this extraordinary thoughtful way how you designed your career, mm. how you designed your life, and how it all works around it. Tell us mm. a little bit how it, how it is for you. Mm. What are some of the questions you asked yourself? Mm. Yeah, so I think a lot of these things look, make a lot of sense in hindsight, um, but... For me, my career was never going to be normal. Um, I studied math of all things. And of course, when you study math, most people think you're going to be a math teacher, uh, which I did not become. My mom is a teacher, so it's not really unfathomable. Um, but I always had to understand and through the process of co-op education and a lot of advice around me, I had to understand how I was going to map that like school understanding to a sort of work understanding. Um, and through many iterations, many failures, right, or near-term failures, what I perceived as failures at that time, um, I've gotten a chance to develop what I'm proud of as a career, you know, in, in solving real problems and um, getting to work with really smart people and, and, and being, you know, at the forefront of technologies as they come to be used by, by everyday people. So it's worked out so far. You haven't really settled on nine to five. You haven't really mm. settled on this one thing that you have to do because mm. others did it. You actually mm. thought, oh, hey, I don't really like that. Mm -hmm. uh, did that happen through trial and error and also having a certain vision around, oh, I actually, I don't see myself being a math teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think I owe a lot of that to going to school where I did. I went to University of Waterloo which is such an atypical place, right? Like it's a top ranked university now, but it's only 50 years old, right? Which is super young. I think Oxford's like a thousand years old or something ridiculous, almost a thousand years. So um, there was a real ethos of experimentation. You know, that when I was there, their, their whole tagline was the spirit of why not. And so you'd constantly have people that were working in fancy places and traveling around the world as students right? Shipping projects and developing IP and like being in the paper, like it just didn't make any sense. Like how could you both be in school and be, you know, working at these companies? You're not taught that that's how it can be. You're taught that you do this, then you do that. And so that started to break my mental mold of what my time in university was going to look like. And then through that process and being surrounded by other people who are also going through this indoctrination maybe <laughs> of how to apply skills to the world um it just became second nature to go well why not or how about you know 
Um, so I think a lot of that is owed to that period of time. And then as you get out into the world, you realize that everybody's tempered in a different way. But when you ask that question, the follow-up answer tends to be more interesting than the first answer you're given. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're, you, you tend to, to, to pull more people towards you that are curious about how you think, you know, and curious about where that line of question can go. Um, and so I, I don't know that there was like an origination point. Mm-hmm. I know that I was very well supported through this entire journey, you know, start to finish. Um, Family, friends. So, absolutely. Yeah, there's no way to do this type of work without that type of emotional support. And I think I was um, really well primed through my university career because of the nature of the school that I was at, but also all the people that I was around that took up that challenge and reinforced it in each other. Where this hunger and competitiveness come from when you talk about, oh, whatever I do, I want to be top three or top five. I don't really interest. I'm not interested in doing something else. I'm not interested in being in the middle or being number eight. Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't often think about that as a, a matter of, of uh, competition. I think, I think about it as like necessary to be known, right? Like, I started thinking in that way long before I called myself a marketer. But in reality, you realize how busy people are, right? And for you to matter to them, you need they in their minds, they need to think about you on their short list, regardless of what that short list is about, right? So you think about. Where, where do you want to eat tonight? Well, I'm not going to go and filter. I mean, some people do this, right? Some people will filter 200 restaurants by all these attributes. But you literally be like, okay, so like you said Italian, right? Or you said like Thai. Oh, and like, absolutely. what are the three Thai places? I mean, there's 50 Thai places in this city, probably. Toronto, it's a food city, right? But that's how we do everything, right? Where do you shop for this? Or who do you think knows that? Or what's your favorite blank? And like, it's a couple of things and then it fades to black. You know, I think even early in my career, I asked, you know, who are the top 10 B2B marketers, because that's that's what I was focused on. And it was funny because the answer was, well, there are only 10. And I said, okay, great. So like, who are they? And nobody can answer more than three or four. And that sort of reinforced to me that if you want to matter, you need to be known at the top of this list, whatever category you choose to, to be known for. Um, so I, I definitely, I think about it as a, as a matter of practicality more than anything else. But having the drive and curiosity mm-hmm. is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Is that teachable is that something that people can develop those who are maybe are not thinking right now about oh i want to be at the top i'm like i i, I just want to get by yeah can, can can they be taught oh yeah i mean look there's there's a there's a lot of getting by in the work that we do right there's like the good enough and and i think that is itself an important skill to understand where to ship just because it needs to be shipped um, more so than getting stuck in the muck of perfectionism which I've been guilty of and you want to be, you know, you can't be top three at everything you do. Um, so you can go through a bit of a filtering process and, you know, there's Ikigai, there's all kinds of models for thinking about where you should focus your energy and become top three. Um, but there are some, some really like simple heuristics, right? And so like one of the ones that Naval Ravikant talks a lot about is, is like find a couple of things you're decently good at, like maybe 25, 25% or 75th percentile at, um, and, intrinsically by overlapping two or three competences, you can become the top of that. But now you have to understand like how the market perceives that intersection. What do they call that? What do they value about that? What's the trajectory of that? Is that a yeah. dying thing? Is it, is it like a growing thing? Is it a local thing? Is it a global thing? 
and and the you know the world is so big and the nature of digital economies means that really like even the most esoteric niche has a market mm -hmm. you just need to know what it's called and for whom it matters you don't need that many people you don't need that many people right and it's it's beautiful like it's a bit of a it's like a weightlessness when you become that specialized because now not you're not being contacted about everything right but when you are contacted about something or where something an opportunity comes up and you are the right shape square holy shit like that's amazing and that saves everyone a lot of time than than you know trying to make something that's not reminds me of Seth Godin so much when he talks mm. about you know whenever whatever you're trying to do if you're let's say a photographer and you're mm. like a sports photographer but you also take pictures of cats mm. that devalues your work so much because mm you have to focus on one specific thing and be mm -hmm. known as you say for one mm -hmm. thing when let's say somebody thinks oh i need a sports sports pictures or like sports photography that's mm -hmm. going to say merloon of course because that's who actually delivers the very best sports photography mm -hmm. not somebody who does sports and stuff that is like not quite related mm -hmm. yeah so i i i i think i'm an omnivore in that sense and i think it's more interest to be interesting to be omni omnivorous um I think that being too narrow can also create a lot of blind spots. So I, you know, I would advocate for becoming really good at one thing, but not losing an awareness of what else is happening around you. Right. And understanding the trajectory of that competence. Um, it's way more interesting to live that way. Right. Imagine just eating the same thing every day. I mean, some people excel at that, right? I mean, Soylent existed for a while. I don't know what's happened to it now, but, um, there are people that only eat blank and that works for them. And it just does not work for me. Fair enough. I love variety too. I'm an mm. ENFP. I think you're mm. e ENT ENTP. ENTP. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's really close. Talk to me about self-awareness. Like how mm. self-awareness plays in that space mm. of being, of doing something well enough or finding that 75% thing that Naval mm. talks about. Yeah. So, you know, I think about self-awareness in a few different ways and it's a journey. I'm still learning. Um, but what I've learned so far um, is that it, for me is the the unlocking to that next gen, next like level right because i think when you first come into your career you learn a bunch of skills you learn pretty broadly maybe you develop a few you build a t-shaped competence hopefully so something you're really good at but after you learn the skill the next stage of your career is about working with people and unlocking your you know matching your skills with theirs and unlocking your greater potential and that requires a real deep awareness of other people but really that starts from a deep awareness of yourself because you can experience all of the emotions and all the trials that anybody experiences in yourself. So you become your own little lab. And so I started realizing that, you know, it's not really talked about directly, but mm -hmm. that sort of self mastery is critical for working with other people. And you start to really notice that across the table when you're with really authoritative leaders, they figured out their emotional self. Right. And, and those are people that are really just great to work with. Right. Because they, they just form better partnerships. They attract better people is a joy to working with them. The other thing I think about is the Dunning Kruger effect. And if you've heard of this, you're, you're very widely read. So you've heard of everything, um, but <laughs> see the Dunning Kruger effect is all about the relationship between how, you know, how smart you think you are and, and, and like how smart you actually are. All oh, right. right? Right. So it's, it is itself a measure of self-awareness. It's the same mechanism that you use to evaluate other things you use to evaluate yourself. And so that's deeply tied together. If you can't see 
that you are you have a blind spot, you're potentially creating blind spots in your own knowledge. And so in knowing that that exists, I do not want to be an example of that, right? <laughs> so it's like, that to me is like the electrified rail. Stay the fuck away from that, yeah. right? And so I constantly am checking that because that's the nature of your blind spot is you stare into it because you can't fucking see anything there, right? Yeah. It's good like to know that you don't really know some things, hmm. right? Like it's good to be, oh, like I'm self-aware. I know that... I understand this thing, whatever it is, like marketing or sales, but mm. I'm super well aware that there's mm. so much more to be learned that I'm so, but you also filter out the feedback. Like mm. you filter out, oh, this stuff is actually, might not actually apply mm -hmm. because you learned already the topic, but mm. some other things, and those could be hard. They be honest, you know, especially if somebody honestly says, mm. you're actually not great at acts, not mm. like demo decks or demo. You are mm. like, he's absolutely actually right. Mm. And, that would require self-mastery and, and honesty and accountability mm -hmm. and certain standards. Yeah, and, and trust in other people, right? Because you can't really talk to everybody and get their opinions. You have to be thoughtful about who you trust to give you that perspective, what you want to do with it. And it goes back to like, if you're able to develop that and develop your trust in yourself, that you can manage that type of feedback and that you are doing that type of work. You attract other people that also are doing that work. I don't think there's full self-awareness, right? right? Like in a specific moment, you might experience that. But I think, I mean, that, that journey to enlightenment as the Buddha arrived where, or where the Buddha arrived is like lifelong work, you know? And so right. I don't think very many people arrive there, but I think the pursuit of self-mastery and self-awareness is um, itself an important characteristic uh, that I want to develop in myself and that I look for in other people that I spend time with. How people could start on this journey of self-mastery and why would they care? Because mm. I find that, you know, some people even start, they, they mm. do something, they read a book, they talk to, to to certain people, even they maybe do it a few times, but mm. they're like, they stop because like they never define the why. And then when it gets really hard, yeah. they don't have a good answer. Mm -hmm. like, why am I here mm. at mile 70 of a run or or, mm. or, or, or the race or whatever it is? Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, you know, uh, it's, um, I think there are many pathways to arriving here and um and like there's no moral obligation to follow any of them but the ones i've experienced directly have have been you know they've worked for me um and you hear it all the time meditation right as much as as it's it's like free and it seems so it seems like so high leverage as to be impossible yeah, that it, that there could be that much relationship between a free activity you can do by yourself and that much leverage in in understanding yourself and, and the world around you. Um, so my experiences of meditation really come from I spent ten days in Vipassana, which is um, which is what the Buddha invented. Right, the Buddha was famous because he basically went and studied all these all, all like thousands of years of ascetic knowledge and developed a ten day process for arriving at it predictably. Like, holy shit. <laughs> like, um, that's awesome. 2,500 years ago, right? Yeah. And you can experience it directly. A million people a year do this. It's completely free everywhere around the world. There's 200 places you can do it. And literally all you're doing for 10 days, for 10 hours a day is meditating. And it's it's a guided meditation. But when you're able to experience that pure awareness that's devoid of any sound, mantra, substance, um, and, and separated from your environment, you start to realize what is being said by you know many generations of teachers and all kinds of timeless wisdom when they talk about knowledge of self big s self mm -hmm. and how the self grafts onto your brain and that's how 
we make sense of the world, but it's an illusion, right? And that's my direct experience. That's not me reading it and repeating it. That's me experiencing it. And that's subjective representation, right? Yeah. So like that's, 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 I think a part of it is like that when you're trying to corner yourself, you start to realize how subjective the self is. Um, there's tons of, even the, I was, I was watching something recently where they, they, study this and they say that every year you lose 50% of the facts from a memory. And so it's funny, they'll go back and they'll actually survey people for whom they've, you know, kept a long record. Mm -hmm. And they realize that some people are so have so far deviated from the original moment that they, they are like telling a completely different story. And their identity now is based on a memory that did not happen. Which is insane. And I think we do that all the time. Right. <laughs> People change. People change. And we form a, a perception of our own identity based on what you remember. But of course, you can't, you can't really count on that as it turns out. Right? But it's also like the people you talk to every day, the people mm. you're around right now, mm. the latest books you read, mm -hmm. or any aspirations that you have also like a big factor, right? Yeah, totally. And, and like I'm trying to be, I think all of us need to be really thoughtful about information diet. Um, because information is endless and your capacity to understand it, to absorb it, to even be aware of it is not. And so um, I'm becoming much more thoughtful about my screen time and, you know, what I consume, what I, who I choose to consume from. Um, I'm not perfect, but I realize that all of that stuff just becomes a part of who I am, right? Subconsciously or, or consciously. Um, but if you believe that your memories determine your identity, then your information falls into your memory boy i mean there's there's a clear relationship between what you consume and who you become yeah absolutely or who you think you are <laughs> no absolutely especially being bombarded by all these ads and all those banners and mm. news and you get like especially people who watch cnn or, yeah. or fox oh my god 24 7 which i've canceled all that stuff off our tv by the way right <laughs> like i just no longer subscribe to news channels because you realize it's like info porn it's like tons of animation it's a bombastic everything is breaking news and you're like well it's just it's just news right it's new <laughs> right it's not breaking it's fucking news so just like can you give it the right title here because you're creating alarmism and that's not really positive because now i'm like jacked up but that's what they're trying to do they're trying to get you more engaged in the facts to watch this thing to monetize your time through ads but they've got like really little choice in a way that yeah. there's just so much noise in social media and yeah. linkedin and facebook and twitter that the actual traditional media is mm. really struggling so they're trying to put to pull as much crazy quotes as possible totally. and like throw at people let's see what sticks totally it's the business model right if you're sort of like two big big business models there's one that monetizes time attention and the other one that monetizes some sort of valued transaction the media business historically has been about selling information but they didn't really have to compete right everyone kind of just subscribed to what their dad subscribed to or bought the local paper because it was the local paper um, and so now they're in an extreme position because they used to sell something that had some perceived value. Now they're in the information attention business and they're clamoring with people who have become experts at this. How are they going to win that? Right. And like, can they afford to lose? So the business model behind what they do has, has really crumbled and has forced them into this corner and they've become further and further askew. But I think that there's also like the consumer also can make a decision there, right. In the same way that you may not want to eat like, you know, you know, wear a, yeah. a, a conflict diamond, you know, you can still wear one, right? But like right. you can choose and then you change the supply chain. And so I've been, you know, this is an unpopular opinion, but I yeah. pay for my news. Nobody right. enforced me. There's tons of tools where I can scrape it, blah, blah, blah. 
But like there are a couple of sources of news where I'm like, you know what? This is actually important. What you are doing is not just about me and what information I consume and, and I, I cor- you know, narrow down who I consume from. But the other part is like, I need you to exist, right? Exactly. You're supporting them. My eyes out there. You are a check on democracy. You're doing necessary work and your business model sucks. So it's like, it feels like a bit of a charity in that sense. But I choose not to look at it like that. I think that in some way, like the in the in the UK, they tax everyone and they fund the BBC. Right. I don't think you get away with that here. But I think about it as like, you know what? Fine. I am paying a tax on information because I think information, good information, should be paid for, and is it is that useful? It is true, especially right now when anything that is free is mm. perceived as a commodity. Like mm. if if you put a label and free is like nobody really cares, nobody wants to even see it because mm. oh, it's free, whatever. Like mm. it's just like that perception. Mm. Versus there's a lot of very good journalists. Like uh, there's one uh, former, I think, Wall Street journalist who created this the information. Mm. Um, it's like a news agency, yeah. and like I think she charges like four hundred or five hundred dollars per year, yep. and it's totally worth it because she's delivering all this like tech insights and all this like latest news analysis. Yep. But it's great to see that internet and is allowing to to give people the vehicle to actually survive and have, maybe they don't have like a hundred million users, but they actually have that one or two million subscribers that they all they need to keep doing a phenomenal work. Totally. Not be controlled. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, it goes back to this whole thing about, you know, if, if you didn't pay for it, you are the product. Right. And so like the fact that they have that niche audience, they build a loyalty and there's a strong affinity. And so there's a clarity of all the stakeholders, what their incentives are. And so they don't have to do shady things behind your back, right? Like the other day, I can't remember, it was probably yesterday. Mm. Um, that much happens. I can't remember when it <laughs> happened. Um, but there's something where like Twitter was using your, your forgotten password. Um, like they had a mechanism where you can do the two-factor authentication. And they were using your secondary email and your phone number to further target you with ads. Ooh. I didn't pay for Twitter. I'm not really on Twitter very much, but like, they are incented to do shady shit like that because like they're just trying to extract more money out of you. And yeah, targeting, if you buy ads, which you've bought some ads, like you pay a premium if I can target to something specific. So like if I can claim that it's better targeted, well, <laughs> how else do you think we're making money here? You know, It's also like hard because they get like, they're going against these people of Google and Facebook yeah. and like they're not that much into advertising and like they right. gotta give some value back to to, to companies. Right. Yeah. I, I'm like super suspicious of that stuff. I've deleted all those apps off my phone. It's, it's like, you know, the network effects are so powerful for those things that that's where your people are and that's where the information is. Um, so there's some pull there, but you know, I, I'm, I think I've been relatively late compared to some of my friends who have like not even made accounts cause they could see this thing coming. And I don't think I was smart enough. Do you use uh, any social media? Like you, are you on Facebook, Twitter, mm. what, like any, any of those? Yeah, you know, I have handles on everything um, because I'm just curious how it works. Even I'm just a nerd, right? So like the marketing process, the onboarding process and like what emails they use and the timing. I'm just watching how other people talk to their users. Right. Um, but in terms of spending my time there, I've seen too much of the data. Like a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine is, a, is very deep in Facebook and Instagram land. And so in one of these closed conferences, he said that the average, this is a stat that shared with the other practitioners, the average person on Facebook consumes a length of scroll per day that is the height of the Empire State Building. Wow, that's a stat. <laughs> Holy shit. That's, that's, that's like three inches at a time. 
That's imagine, crazy. <laughs> imagine that. Like being an incy wincy spider climbing the Empire State Building every day. And like, you don't know. There's no counter. There's no perimeter. There's nothing that's like, bro, you okay? I think some of the apps now have said like, uh, you know, like that's the end of your role. But that's like really terrifying that you're spending that much time because like what, what, what did you recall from that much information? How important was that information, right? And I think we're seeing that now in certain places like, you know, talk about how the millennials, especially the younger millennials are really suffering with social anxiety because there's this cotton candy thing they're doing, right? They're like staffing their cheeks with cotton candy and like finding out that they're weak and malnourished. You're like, yeah, because that wasn't real food, right? And I think social media is that, like click and like and tag and send and all this shit and like didn't actually talk to a human being, forgot how to make eye contact, didn't have to live with emotions of sitting with another human being. And like, that's how our bodies were developed, right? We're not like this instance saved in like, uh, yet, <laughs> saved on like a virtual machine in Amazon's massive cloud, right? We're actually like these living, yeah. breathing human beings and our experiences are the conglomeration of all of our experiences. And so one narrow thing over and over and over again is going to make us feel malnourished. So self-destructive too, you know, mm. people who are trying to do any self-mastery, mm. you get in, get in distracted by social media. It's just really crazy. I was... Uh, visited my family and I like looked at how my dad uses the phone. I'm like, mm. oh my God, like I installed this this app that tracks mm. the screen on time. I'm like, you gotta, you gotta delete all your apps. Mm. We will buy you a flip phone. Mm. You can't be using that because mm. like the attention span gets mm -hmm. shorter and all the information is crap anyways. Mm -hmm. Why would you need that? Like mm -hmm. you realistically, like you wanna uh, really approach things with, in, with purpose. Mm -hmm. Why do you need this thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it could be just you to have fun, which mm -hmm. is fine. But like having all this big news or having like all this likes, like maybe is that not really helpful? Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I completely agree that those tools are made to be addictive because they're trying to claim more of your time. Uh, but there's a, a guy out there near IL, you've probably seen a bunch of his stuff mm -hmm. and, and he yeah. makes a really good point um around really the co the combination of things that's happening that's arriving at this appearance of addiction right and yes one part of it is like the experience is designed to be really juicy right because you create dopamine but there's also a precondition right there's the situation we're in the feeling that we have and then there's a trigger right and so um, this is also understand, understood in Eastern philosophy where you know that their external world exists, but it's really your starting point that you can manage. You can't manage all of the world. And in fact, we spend so much time changing the external world around us. We're trying to, but if you try to turn that back on ourselves, you realize how hard that is to do. And so I think in these moments, and I think we're all guilty of this, where we jump to that next easy thing and you have the super powerful computer in your pocket, unlimited information, but really the, the valuable thing might be for the screen to say something like, Hey, what are you avoiding right now? You know, what is a higher priority than this instead of cutting your screen time, whatever, because it forces a U-turn to understand why this was your next best reaction. And there's tons of little things we do like this, tons of right. little ticks we do that really, you know, we're putting the blame externally. Right. But yeah. if we can master ourselves and, and draw some self-awareness to what's happening in ourselves that we can be responsible for before we jump out into this experience, that's something that we can actually cultivate. And that extends to all parts of life. And I think the people around us. Super hard, though, to do. But I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Just like looking at yourself first. Mm -hmm. I was... Uh, 
I went to a meetup with, mm. um, it was like hosted by Ivan Carmichael, mm. the guy who's like, he's got like 2 million subscribers on YouTube, like really famous right now. He does a lot of self-development content. And what I love about his story is that he purposely keeps a, a box of Doritos next to his next to his desk mm. and making as a reminder to not eat them right. just to exercise the self-discipline right. and also what he does with his phone he's like hey like i'm i don't want to take my phone and hide it away in the other room like everybody does and right. i tried to do it myself he's like i'm gonna keep it next to my bed but i will make sure i don't look at it right. because I don't want to tell myself, hey, I'm actually addicted to this thing. Right. I'm not going to hide it away. And the same thing, I'm not going to delete apps. I will keep right. everything, but I will exercise my self-mastery or self-discipline. Mm. Well, yeah, and I think we're a lot closer than we think we are, right? We think it's like this, I got to work on this for a decade before I can like, you know, keep my phone in my pocket. And it turns out that there's some research that Brene Brown was, was describing. And it turns out, I mean, I think she did this empirically for herself, but... Um, those feelings, whatever that you're in that trigger moment, when you time it, it tends to be around eight seconds, which is about the length of time mm -hmm. that you can, that, that you, um, they ask you to stay on a bull during a, during a bull ride. Yeah. Right. And if a human being can sit on a bull for eight seconds, you can surely just keep your hands outside your pockets for eight seconds. Right. And so I think it's like the observation of what's actually happening mm -hmm. in that moment where you feel the need to move on to a different state and just watch it, just observe the rush of instinct and the feeling on your face and what else happens, right? It's interesting. Yeah. And that's, I think, where you can really observe, where you learn to develop that is, is through mindfulness, right. where you can actually watch yourself doing it. And it's such a trip, but like Absolutely. eight seconds is not a lot of time to start developing a behavior I think we all benefit from. Yeah, it's interesting. Like there's, uh, I think Mel Robbins, somebody who developed this five second rule where she mm. talks about, oh, like whatever urge you have or whatever addiction you have, mm. you have to like break it in five seconds mm. or, and then that just allows uh, to make sure that you're actually not being not going into the loop of your habit mm. like you're you want to let's say you pick up your phone mm. and then you're like oh like i shouldn't be actually looking at it so you count down to five seconds and you put you pull it away right um and the same goes to oh i have to wake up early and that is actually that actually works mm -hmm. i find or she says like oh for some people it can be a little bit shorter mm -hmm. so it's also like how do you break that habit loop mm -hmm. and she's got this like cool technique she like wrote the book and huh. a lot of people actually find it helpful but someone's got to practice it right like these things are out there like it's available this philosophy is thousands of years old it's free it's right? free but like why aren't we doing it it's like uh abundance there's like so much abundance mm. of of knowledge and mm. books and mm. content there's so much scarcity mm. of like actually you should be like maybe look at it or like read it yeah uh, th that's like very very scarce resource why well, i think information is boundless and wisdom is scarce yeah right and especially wisdom that we earn in ourselves that we know to be true intrinsically is the most powerful because then you can turn that into action it's not just a beautiful quote you know not just a soundbite that you can repeat but th the biggest test is is whether you can actually apply that for yourself and Absolutely. then through example, show people what the benefit of that wisdom might be for them. You tweeted something years ago, uh, which I really uh -oh. liked. <laughs> I'm not going to get to host the Oscars now. <laughs> yeah. Here it goes. Argue like you're right and listen like you're wrong. Mm. Explain that. 
Yeah, you know, we actually use this at, at Flex Day as well, this whole concept of, of um, strong opinions weekly held. Oh, I love that. Right? Um, because, like, it's, it's so many things to be, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so much information and there's so many things we believe in any one moment. But if you only want to hear yourself talk, then you'll just monologue your way through something. But if you want to have a conversation, if you want to invite people to engage with you, you might actually learn something. And I think that's a signal. When I see people who invite the discourse, right, the invite dissent, those are the people that are rewarded intrinsically by learning. And I think that's what happens in those moments is, is like you're putting out your strongly held opinion and finding out whether there was something missing about how you thought about it because now you can be better. Right. Totally. Or if somebody comes up with a piece of information, maybe you can disabuse them of something that they've held that may be incorrect or incurrent. Right? But, but having like being really humble of saying, hey, like I was just arguing hmm. like crazy. Hmm. And by the way, I'm wrong because hmm. I, I think you're totally right. But just hmm. having that flip flop effect hmm. is very difficult. And you have to have like your ego in check, put your ego in check, be very humble, those hmm. sorts of things. Right. Well, there, there are some really good examples for people that do this. Right. So scientists are known for this you get you have tons of examples of scientists that spend their entire career focused on a few topics and then somebody comes out explains it better and they go yep you did it congratulations you know you found it and they're not losers in that situation i think that's sometimes what we perceive ourselves as exactly. like there's a winner and a loser the fact that you could get someone to engage with you is you both cared about that topic right so you both helped it to progress this other person helped maybe like checked you or maybe you help to calibrate them on a course, right? Maybe they were inspired by something that you said, but they didn't fully understand why you said it the way that you did. And so I think that it should be a celebration when better information comes out, right? Or a new way of thinking it evolves out of somebody's prior work. I don't think, I mean, like it's records are meant to be broken. Imagine if you were like hurt every time something new was replaced by something else new. <laughs> it's absurd. Of course, not right? not trying to be romantic about oh, I I was the best or I'm the best. It always changes. I mean, look at yourself, right? Like if you think about, I mean, you've done 50 podcasts, listen to your first, po- first podcast, I've written all over the place. Look at all my writing. Look at all these tweets from back long ago. And like a lot of times I look back at the photos I've taken, the writing and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, "Huh. I, I thought that was good. That's why I put it up, but wasn't that good. But you know what? I, you know, and this is this is this has been said by a number of people. But that's a sign that you're growing, right? And if you can't look back and see a bit of a trajectory, and this is up, well, are you growing, right? If everything looks like it did, then maybe you're not. And and that it should be some sort of um, reinforcement that the process matters. You know, this type of process matters. Um, I think also being around other people that that like are this thoughtful um, is really critical because because the ego is very powerful. Right? It is, and you need to have some of it, but not not too much of it. It's like a delicate balance, right? Yeah, but it, it's so true. Like I, I think my my favorite example of uh, of strong opinions weekly held was was Steve Jobs, of course, mm. when he's arguing like crazy with developing the new iPhone or developing the first iPhone mm. in 2006 before it came out in 2007 and then everybody's super engaged and then it's mm. supposed to be released in the next few months and mm. then in the middle of the night he calls Johnny Ive the chief designer is like look Johnny this is shit we have to completely redesign it and and then they did and of course it became what it became the the, the most successful consumer product mm. ever launched but the 
what I loved the most was the feedback that Tim Cook gave about Steve. He said, mm. when I started working with Steve in, in the 90s, mm. I thought he was so flip-flops. He was mm. like, he was saying something and he immediately changed his decision. Mm. But then he's like, when I looked at it later on, I realized the power in not being stuck, mm -hmm. the power of not being, not being attached to a certain dogma right. and, and moving ahead versus when people say oh like that's how it is because of my ego because of whatever right. steve really just like hey no this is really crap and yep. it took a lot of people to to get them there to yep. get him there but it worked that's super powerful that i mean that's a superpower to learn and relearn infinitely is a superpower because that means that you can always orient yourself in the right direction the right direction whatever that is and like there's so much information available you have to be really thoughtful about what you weigh, but the ability to to um, reassess where you are and where you want to go in light of new circumstances is absolutely critical. Um, the world moves too quickly to do it any other way. Totally agree. Now I want to talk about your story that mm. how you went to Peru because oh. that was that was awesome. Uh, what was the trip like? Because yeah. I think you gained a lot from it, and I mm -hmm. I totally learned it with myself. Is mm -hmm. that you get so much value out of going outside, going like on a trip, going mm -hmm. in, in Europe to Europe or anywhere. Mm -hmm. You get so many different insights that mm -hmm. allow you to actually assess where you are in life. Are you mm -hmm. doing the right thing? Because mm -hmm. or maybe not. It's so easy to get caught up in the moment that yeah. things are maybe just okay it's like mm -hmm. the dull pain mm -hmm. you don't quite you, you kind of lose you kind of start not feeling it later on but then when you leave uh, and then you're like you go anywhere you go to thailand or whatever you're like mm -hmm. oh and then you come back whatever you feel is a very good indicator and i think you really have a great story to share there yeah you know and this one's like one of those ones i don't know that i could have drawn it up um in my life plan i didn't i was not you know aware of of my life in that way in, in that at that scale um, but it's still one of the most important things i've ever done um it was god knows probably 10 years ago now maybe more um and of course now you know i've told you a lot about how memory degrades every year um, <laughs> hopefully we're, we're, we're still we're still in the window <laughs> but wisdom is timeless and hopefully i remember the, the timeless pits but you know that it was also like that Peru trip was one of the many ways I've been supported in being where I am now and, and getting to do the work I get to do now because that was completely atypical for someone at that age, I think it was 23 or 24, to leave for six months to a foreign country where they didn't know the language or any of the people on the ground. But for me, I was really called to do something different. You know, I'd been a university student for five years, I'd worked at a bunch of great companies i'd been trusted with great work i'd done on profits i'd had great relationships and friends and all this type of stuff but i could not get untangled about what to do next with my career and i was kind of at a loss right like option a use a math degree and do a math related thing that a lot of my my classmates did option b i stuck around for almost a year and did my accountancy requirements and i thought maybe i'll be an accountant and Option B didn't seem that exciting as I was getting to the end of it. There was no option C, right? I yeah. didn't have some big life plan. Right. Um, but I always knew that I would travel at some point. That seemed that it was just attracted to that idea. And my family grew up traveling. Um, so it was not unusual to, for that to be on the board somewhere. I just didn't think it would be that soon. Um, but it was, you know, it was one of the most powerful things I've ever done in my life because that isolation allowed me to strip away all of the voices that had been around me for those first 24 years. 
right? The the school industrial complex right. that tells you you're so smart and everyone loves a mathematician is like no one cares. You're living in the mountains, had an afro, trying to meet locals and like help them to find some comfort in this tiny town on the side of a hill <laughs> in my broken Spanish. Like that was the nature of my challenge. <laughs> and it's like soul to back to self-awareness and like just like self-mastery. Well, it just I, there's it. You get a like a like a bullet train to self awareness when nothing that you used to count on matters, right? Like all of this school knowledge I had, great, cool, nobody cares, not useful here, or like all these friends that have helped me out in different circumstances. Well, none of these people know me. I have no social credibility here, or any of my my background, where I've traveled, where I've lived. Well, I can't relate to the people because I can't talk to them yet. So really you go down to like well what do i have what are my skills <laughs> crazy and comfortable <laughs> super important and i you know like i have two younger sisters and i've been a, a big proponent of them taking this type of risk and really anyone that'll listen to me long enough i say i got a chance to do that right at the right time i think the gap year kids kind of do that even though i find them in thailand and they're barefoot and <laughs> smeared with dirt from god knows where oh totally <laughs> right so like i think yeah. that like culturally there is some knowledge in this and i think the eastern philosophy has these schools of learning and you know you go back to the the monastery and there there is this process where you can like learn how to live yeah um but we didn't really have that i didn't really have that here i had great examples but not that completeness mm. um for me it was such an inflection point in my life because for a long time i believed that i was going to take a job that was promoted to me by my university and I ended up taking a job for no pay at a startup that had existed for like a few months, right? <laughs> like I saw the seed fund check when it came in. I was like, yeah, this is probably not going to exist, but I don't know. I did the craziest thing I've ever done for six months. I didn't die. And there was all kinds of reasons why I might've <laughs> like, surely I'm not going to die taking this risk. Right. And I think Elon Musk does, you know, really talks about this and people think he's nuts. He's like, taking his hundreds of millions of dollars and throwing it into all kinds of crazy moonshots. But he's like, at the end of the day, I was pretty sure I was going to be indoors. But just having the pers <laughs> that perspective is super mm. valuable, mm. right? Like when you are like, hey, you know, if they, this actually burns out like mm. tomorrow, I'm still going to be okay. And it's funny, I talked to one of the co-founders of VoiceFlow, the, the startup, mm. and Andrew, and he said something really valuable, I think. He's like, hey, mm. I did a ton of startups and it was like hard. We failed at a lot of them, mm. but this is Canada. Mm. You're still going to be fine. Totally, totally. And one, I, I think the other part is understand. I don't think I understood this back then, but um, I, the way I perceive it now is that our brains are like very rudimentary mouse traps. It doesn't understand small mouse, big mouse. It just understands crisis, right? Pain, discomfort, and it races to the one thing it knows because like, it kind of needed to overreact for a long part of our evolution. Otherwise, you might die. To survive, exactly. Right. And like, you live in like a pretty safe, I mean, most of the world is pretty safe. And actually, most people want to do right and do well and be good, right? And so um, I think it's just understanding that the mechanism we have in our brains is not as sophisticated as we can be by being thoughtful in in receiving that initial reaction, that emotion, and then processing it actually into the place that it belongs which is like one more fact yeah <laughs> not the critical yeah. fact not the only fact but like ah, that's a data point i feel eh, about that <laughs> oh totally so for people who are especially for people who are early early in their career mm. would you say take risk 
or oh yeah take the biggest risks the earlier you can of course i think like the biggest you know the biggest advice i give someone early in their career is like just absolutely absolutely positively without negotiation do not trade on your integrity you can take unlimited risk as long as you are at impossible to shake from what you believe yeah. to be right. true absolutely you know and i think that that our community is really um supportive in that right um they get that you try things and they reward we we should reward more of the attempts and they definitely do i feel like you know if you're actually doing some work and people could see that you're doing mm -hmm. something and it doesn't really even matter if that mm -hmm. thing fails mm -hmm. the fact that you're actually doing something oh, and yeah. you are taking the feedback that you receive totally. and, and, it, and the people see that you're addressing it that is so rare first and it's so valuable and it's still going to work out because uh they are here there to help you and yeah. you are validating what they are telling you which almost never happens people uh receive advice all the time they never follow up they yeah. never apply yeah you, you know i only really understood this a couple of years ago so I, i happened to be in this window of opportunity and i met a really intelligent person kite surfing in roatan honduras which is of course where you meet co-founders yeah. um but just kind of randomly i was there with a group of people who were building startups and we all seemed to go along great and we came back to canada we decided to try this little baby startup he was in an accelerator i joined him there for six months and it wasn't what i tried was trying to do at that period of time but it was kind of a curious opportunity and i couldn't say no the most important part of that experience was taking the risk because now for the first time i could understand what it looked like to look at a problem through founders eyes right i'd been so early and 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 closely worked with so many founders that i thought nah we're all one and the same we're all early yeah. but there's just something totally different it's an order of magnitude difference when you're taking that risk yourself and you have to stare at the abyss by yourself and what was really important you know statistically these things don't work out and it wasn't really meant to work out this thing we we're just sort of exp exploring something was when it didn't work out the number of people that came out and put their introductions into my hands and their support the type of group counseling i got the the quality of advice i got the quality of time i got was just you know impossible to measure or budget for you know i wasn't doing it for that i was doing it because i wanted to try something different sort of you know almost yeah. a decade into my career right but what was so curious was that the people that i was now talking to looked at me with fresh eyes and i could look at them with fresh mm -hmm. eyes and these are people i'd known from the toronto tech community for years but the way they treated me was totally different because now they knew that i had seen what they had seen right and there's no other way to do it you can read all the steve jobs books you want and all the bios oh, of for sure. famous for founders sure. or whatever but until you've taken that risk yourself you don't know what that feels like 100% and it's really interesting because you are well first it's a big risk to be a founder or be a co-founder mm. at any point in your career, but actually take a leap after being successfully 10 mm. years in, mm. it's super uncommon. Mm. What people, like if say somebody's in their career in five years in, or mm. maybe 10 years in, maybe 15 years in, what should they find in themselves mm. to to have enough courage to to do something like that? Mm. You know what I, I often use is, uh, I remind myself that right now in this moment, I'm relatively worthless compared to what I th where I think I'm going. Um and I think that you can you can remind yourself of that and sort of deflate your ego around it because all those things are externalities, they don't matter, they're mostly forgotten 
And at the end of the day, you want to feel like you've actually done something meaningful, useful. I think sometimes we get trapped in our own success, right? And other people's views of who we are. And we want to be able to tell the cogent story before you even take the leap. You're like, how am I going to explain this in the con? Like you don't actually know what's on the other side until you take that step, right? But like, when else are you going to take that step? You've like overvalued your way out of true learning. And that sucks. I think we talk ourselves out of really important insights in that way. A pretty well-known, a pretty well-known co-founder, Tom Bilyeu. Uh, hmm. He runs Impact Theory. He also talks about that. Uh, he's like, "Hey, you have to really look at yourself as being really malleable. Somebody who is like super early, doesn't hmm. know shit, but hmm. is so interested in learning. Mm-hmm. And look at yourself almost at any point in your mm-hmm. career because mm-hmm. you never know. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more out there. Versus, oh, I achieved so much. I, I'm I'm locked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it comes up in other ways. Beginner mindset is another way to think about it. That you want to look at some new information or to look at old information in a new way. And that's, again, a skill, right? To take something that you think you know and to think again about it and to invite the change, right, in perception or invite a different perspective externally or internally. Like that is that is so much harder than you think mm-hmm. it is, right? 100%. We get attached to what we think we know and, and we form a relationship because the memory and the identity are so intrinsically tied together that our very identity is under attack if you change some of the things that you think you know. Right? Yeah, I think it's the biggest part and what I found with myself is that mm. how ridiculously people are attached to who they are mm. and how they're not willing to like to change because it feels like you're being weird or mm. uh, everybody thinks you're an idiot. Mm. And that is so, the force is mm. unbelievably powerful <laughs> and it actually takes so much that mm. you have to find in yourself mm. like, oh, actually there's a reason and I'm going to die or maybe there's some other thing that is really, really big. Oh my goodness. It's, it's, it's so funny because anytime you take whatever, you could take a super divergent thing. Like think about my thing, right? So, um, you know, went to high school, went to university, got a degree, went to Peru. Right. And so like most people were not expecting me to go to Peru. My family was not expecting me to go to Peru, but then I came back and it is just part of my story. And so like, you could be pretty assured that whatever thing you do, you can still stitch it into your story, You're still alive. And people will tell themselves whatever story with or without you, that you don't have to worry about whether it connects. <laughs> you just do it. If that makes sense, if you are staying within your integrity, if you've got a natural curiosity, I don't think you should talk yourself out of something like that. And, and actually, you know, if you go back to this, this thing, we talk about overlapping competencies. Well, you know, of all of the things I talk about, right, what I think gets remembered is these few little nuggets studied math lived in peru did a startup right like all this other stuff that i spend my time thinking in between yeah i mean there's all these other little things that happen between and we want to get seen for them but the overlapping thing here is that i've done something super divergent that makes me memorable right so now if you want to think about like you know so I don't know yet if I'm like a top five podcast guest, but like <laughs> I want to be a top five podcast guest. I should go off and like be interesting. Yeah. And like interesting isn't just more of what everyone else has done. There are very few people that walked into a foreign country without knowing the language just after graduation before a career started and took right. that risk. And so that, you know, I'll say that even the earlier, um, the, the, the conversations I got to have very early in my career I got to have some really good ones because I said something different. I'd done something different. They'd ask me that question. Hey, what happened for these six months between here and here? And you're like, 
let me tell you a story. And like, who else do you think is telling that story in an interview, right? So I think sometimes we don't want to step out because we don't want to seem weird for some decision we've made or we can't quite back it up. But actually, that's the interesting part of life. And I think we talk ourselves out of it too many times. That's the coolest part. And uh, it's one of those things where you become indispensable Mm. or you become a linchpin. Mm. And there's like two things I I wanted to to add. So the first one was I love what Brene Brown says Mm. where, look, I keep six people with me. Like I have a she keeps a list of six people Mm. and she only cares about opinion of those six people. Everything else, it does not matter. To your point, do whatever you want to do. Like there are six people or whoever it is, your family, maybe your closest friend, yeah. everybody else, whatever. You have one life. You can be, you can please everybody. Mm. Doesn't mean that you're an asshole, but it means like, hey, I want to try this thing. I'm going to look really stupid, yeah. but I'm going to go for it. Yeah. Let's just find out together. Exactly. Like, how do we know what's on the other side of that? Are you going to do it? No. Well, fuck, I guess I got to do exactly. it. But in the other part, which is amazing, and you just mentioned it, and I'm like, I love that. David Cancel, the CEO of Drift, he always, he mentioned something that really stuck with me for a long time that he says, I interviewed a lot of people mm-hmm. and the people who later on became 10 Xers, 100 Xers, Xers, they have all, they have weird resumes. They have some mm-hmm. weird gaps. They have something that is weird about them. They mm-hmm. don't fit in the description. Mm-hmm. There's something that is unknown about them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is so true. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if we look at your resume, it does not say, hey, I worked at a bank for 10 years and I'm now a yeah. CMO. Yeah. It, and and it doesn't have to say that, but I'm just like this is it's so much harder to fit you in the mm. conventional box of a corporate environment in Toronto. Yeah, I mean that that's the nature of capitalism, right? It wants to create some sort of product out of you that is repeatable, that can be easily understood, fit into all these Re- places, replaceable. Right, and that should be a sign that maybe you're not all that important if you are making yourself into this like common widget. That was the biggest sign, like in my sort of my mid-career now, mid-career five years ago, I was getting some interesting recruitment, interest, whatever recruiters are talking. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, okay, cool. Maybe, maybe I would go do a big company thing. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Fine, let's have a conversation. But the biggest signal that it wasn't going to work is they'd send me a PDF, which was like two pages of table of exactly how everything was going to go. Right. And I was like, (laughs) you just want to run a program. And I don't want your program in my brain. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's like they're looking for a robot, a machine, right. Right. a machine that's going to execute the the command. Right. And like, look, my personal circumstances that I've chosen to skew my life in this way. Right. Doing maybe riskier work. I mean, it's not predictable how long any one of these things goes. Um, there are some reasons that people might want a more predictable thing. I have some friends that take care of their families, and and you know, their personality type is not this. But I think if you're curious about this, it's not that crazy. And you get to you know, meet some really interesting people and do even types of learning that you can't predict um, about yourself primarily, but then about all of the, the ways the world works. So I, I was probably that person early in my career, hesitant to take the type of risk that I ended up taking that has put me on this path. But if somebody's stuck there or maybe they've taken the, the more predictable path and they're asking themselves, like, is it now? Is it now? Like you're relatively worthless right? in the course of your whole life. So if not now, later, when you're more expensive, ah, but you're relatively worthless now, why not take the risk now? So much more to lose. And you got mm. you got time. Like, like mm. Gary Vaynerchuk says, like you've got really time. Like mm. there's way more years to go mm. instead of, oh, I have to, like there's always this perception, oh, I have mm. to be climbing the ladder because well, one, my old classmates are climbing. Mm-hmm. I have to be doing the same thing or at least the same. And then I've got, I don't really have enough time, which is not true. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, I think part of this too is, is like 
this advice comes from people who were outliers in some way. They're outcasts in some way. And so without their intention, they weren't like the others. And so they had to think for themselves. And that's kind of the problem sometimes when you want, you know, you try to be popular or you want to be on the beaten track is you compare yourself. But but then like you're really just within one or two degrees of everyone else. Like, how do you stand out? Well, you got to keep like, oper- optimizing or something. Like, there are all these other divergent paths and actually the world rewards them. But I don't think you can see that until you've gotten some perspective on your own life. And I think some of the early messages of, from family and uh, from school can be all about becoming these sort of headline carrying widgets in a capitalist system that allows for them to predict their outcome. Right. So like the university, think about the university, right? Yeah. Of course they want to teach you whatever they want to teach you. Right. But one of the things they produce that recruits new mem- new school, what are students, I guess? Students. Yeah. That's <laughs> new what they students call <laughs> is, is they want to show what the outcome of that program was, which is what the graduation rate, the first year starting salary guy like me, six months in Peru, no salary, right? I got a place to sleep and I was safe. Not really good for their stats because like I didn't get a job right out of school, right? And then when I got a job, I didn't get paid for the first couple of months. Again, not good for stats. And so that, I would never trade that. I mean, again, it was relatively worthless, right? So I would never trade that period of my life for anything. But from a university perspective, from like accounting perspective, I probably was not looking good in their numbers. You already probably right. lost. Like, oh, this guy's like, whatever. Like, Skewing we're not- the average down is a euphemistically how the math department would call it. Exactly. But the perspective you gain is absolutely worth, like it's worth so much. So much. So much leverage over the rest of my life, not just as like a contributing member of the economic system, but like as a human being, as like a partner, as a friend, as a coworker, maybe as a leader, right? Like how do you learn all these, these, um, empathetic states if you don't actually experience your whole life and understand how the rest of the world works and bring in more influences than just what happened at school and what work, what happened at work. And to me, I, I just can't go back that mm-hmm. way. And I think that most of the people that have worked in this way in startup land that have taken the risk have a really hard time of thinking about themselves at a big organization that has much more structure. What happened to me too? I I can't go back to being a corporate world again. Mm. Uh, that's where I came from. After doing consulting, it feels so awkward mm. and so ridiculous. Mm. Uh, I'm never going to be a CMO in a corporate world. Mm. That will just not happen <laughs> because it's uh, like you can't breathe. Yeah, like it, it just feels so wrong. It's a totally different job, and and maybe you can have a yield somewhere closer to your personality. Um, but there's this thing that happens at this early stage that doesn't really happen later, right? And maybe you can manufacture a thing beside it. Maybe you're, you know, what you're doing in the future when you've gotten to grow to a certain size so closely matches to your purpose that this is the way that you can have impact and you have to go out and find creativity elsewhere. But there's something here that is just indescribable and it's kind of corny, but like, how else am I going to describe it to you other than to tell you that it's indescribable and you should just like experience it for yourself. So for anybody who's listening, take the risk as big as you can, as much as you can afford, yes. you're going to gain so much perspective yes. that it will be, it will pay off as early as possible. As early as possible. <laughs> now, I want to move on to a few hypothetical questions that Ooh, okay. uh, I, I love them. They, uh, I stole some of them from Tim Ferriss. So, mm. if you could uh, have a billboard, mm. say it's Young and Dundas in downtown Toronto, mm. what would it say? Hmm. 
Young and Dundas. How would they even notice my billboard on Young and Dundas? <laughs> I'd have to have like the whole wraparound building thing like that Drake gets to do, we'll right? Have to, we'll have to like 10 access. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do I want everyone to know? Um, could be anything personal or business. Could be anything. I mean, to me and, and like, I, I don't know that everyone's going to understand it, but I, this, this like very short statement, know yourself. Not know yourself, one word know yourself because the self is this narration it's the conversation you're having every day most of the day um, but to build a relationship with what that self is and what it is metaphysically is such an unlock on the rest of your life um, that it's 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 all the difference you know and there's so much work required to like actually be able to observe that but i just hope that most people get to meet themselves or meet their self um, before they die just that's a really powerful relationship yeah i i totally agree i think it's probably the most important thing that can happen mm -hmm. like feeling how badass you are mm -hmm. or whatever it is right mm -hmm. and how much that voice is like it, it is it is a cheerleader right it can it can like work you up it can be you know your 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 biggest detractor But just to know that it is like an illusion yes, <laughs> is this weird thing to hold in your brain that it's like it's happening all the time. And I experience it directly. It's the longest relationship I've ever had. It's the most persistent one. And it's an illusion. What am I then? You know, what kind of crazy state is this? Is everyone going around doing this? Yes, everyone is actually going around with this, their own particular voice that they may not have formed a relationship with. And yet it influences everything we do. Yeah. So if you can at least hold it at arm's length at times, like you might hold any other external perspective and observe it and have a conversation with it and understand that it is temporary, there is so much possible in our lives. Um, it just makes for a richer life, in my view. Yeah. Anyone who gets to that level of self-awareness is going to be set. He's going to be very, very happy and fulfilled mm. regardless of where they end up, what mm. they will do and how much money they will have in the bank. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In the last five years, what mm. was the uh, belief or behavior mm. or habit that improved your life the most? Oof. You know, um, and actually this is crisply in the last five years. So um, I was never a morning person, right? I think a lot of us tell ourselves that story. And I'd read all kinds <laughs> yeah. of things. Successful people wake up early and all this <laughs> so kind many. of stuff. They're like so much better off. Um, maybe, but actually it turns out that night owls have more friends. So you know, okay. choose wisely. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> There's some value to being up late. Um, but one of the things I, I really struggled with was like, um, understanding what that meant, you know, and understanding how to like get into the day and own the day, seize the day. I'd heard it so many times, you know, pay yourself first, all this type of stuff. And I didn't quite understand what any of that meant until I started committing to 7am yoga. Which, yeah, I'd experimented with yoga all kinds of places and I always generally thought about it as stretching. But the very act of doing something painful first thing in the morning because you said so puts you in such a pole position, right? One, so that you've been able to cross off a tough commitment first thing in the morning, which is like, I, I can do tough things, right? And I can, I'm proving that because I did it on myself, right? Part one. Yes. Part two for me was the type of mental clarity I was getting earlier in the day, right? Whereas I was like starting to hit my stride at 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. just over the course of the day and you get kind of ruffled when you walk through any sort of office. I was walking out and I still am at 8.15 
and just like awake. You are totally pinned. I'm in. I'm receiving on all channels. My mood is up. My thought process is much more clear. I'm here. And that's like completely separated from any of the other things I could do, which is like to pound a coffee or um, listen to like great music and all that stuff. You can do all that stuff on top of that. And I've done all those things, but there's nothing like to me, there's no greater leverage um, in, in the time I spend than that morning yoga. Um, and I would, you know, to me, it's an easy sell now. I'm like, let's go. And I try to do morning meetings more often and I invite people to come and join me for morning yoga. So anyone's listening and you, you want to try, just come do it with me. There's power in doing it in twos. Um, but there's something just so clear about that, that when you look around the room at all the other crazy people that have put their winter jackets on and trudged over and changed into gear, Mm -hmm. you realize why they're doing it. Yeah. You know, it's so, so interesting. Crazy. So interesting. I also do morning routine and uh, I also wake up early and I found any workout. That's the first thing I do. And it sucks. It absolutely does every time. But the feeling you get after the feeling that exactly as you say, the day started right. You kept true to yourself Mm. and you are accountable to yourself Mm -hmm. which is a great feeling Mm -hmm. and the the, how you feel after like how sharp mentally you feel after you're like some people are like walking up they're like they're still Mm. they need their coffee you're like you're ready to go you're ready to like fire and and uh, and that just feels so right yes there are certain things that you have to make certain trade-offs but the jump you can make on the day if you wake up like early that that just undescribable yeah yeah i it it is one of those things where both of us have heard it so often throughout entire lives but until you step into it you don't actually know how much you get back by making that investment i totally agree how has a failure or apparent failure Hmm. set you up for a later success or maybe you have a certain favorite one yeah, fuck. Uh, the library of failures. Um, I mean, it's a, I, we could just do this over again with just failures and they would actually, may, may actually be interesting. But I'll come back to something that's a little bit more near term um, because we started telling that story. Um, so about three years ago, I met this guy, Kate Surfing Trip, blah, blah, blah. And we built this startup. Um, we didn't build it to fail. We built it because it was an interesting opportunity to work together in sort of a safe space. A bit of a forcing function because it was like a demo day and you need to like stand up on stage and say something. Um, But a month after that, we ended up closing it. And it was a matter of us looking at each other and going, look, either we need to put another year, like commit now to doing another year of this and find out what this really is because it's a curiosity. It's not a necessity. And we've shown some initial traction, but not blow away traction. There are we're investable in who we, you know, experiences we bring to the table. And we'd had some investors Um, approach us and talk to us about, you know, going down that path, we chose to close it. And so that was devastating. You know, I'd literally been up on stage telling everyone about this thing and what we're going to do next. And a month later, I was announcing that was closed. That's, that's such a tough one for, for your perception, for self-esteem, for publicity, all that. First time I'd stood up in front of something and stood up on stage and really put my name on something. And to have to put that down was exceptionally painful um, unsettling. And, and also I was clearly building plan A, so I did not have a plan B. Right. So like when we came to that realization, I realized like all these future things that we projected for ourselves are now also gone. Right. So what am I supposed to spend this next year doing? Um, so that was, that was like 
that that was i think experiencing that degree of pain like taking that big a risk and de- experiencing that degree mm-hmm. of pain experiencing my own feelings of self-worth and my own um value you know how i valued myself and valued my skills and my how much of my self-esteem was attached to what other people thought of me like disabusing myself of all of that it was such a rinse cycle for a month um of course reinforced by all of the people that stepped up and said hey man i saw what you did like completely out of the woodwork at times like yeah. saw what you did and i want to talk to you about that and i want to know what you want to do next and i want to introduce yourself to people I, I had no idea of course yeah. i had no plan b so i was like yes please and you know that the the the, the business that i'm i'm helping to build now with four other really smart people called flex day is completely an opportunity that came out because i took that risk and failed yeah because i watched that company ship in in a facebook channel and they sort of explained their thing and i was like that's curious cool and didn't really think much about it because you see a lot of this news and it kind of goes through right. your fingers right sands through your fingers but one of the introductions that was made for me in that period where I was coming back into my career in some way or trying to figure out what to do next was this founder of Flex Day. And it was so curious because he was one of the many coffee conversations I was going to have. But we literally met at the end of the day, probably three or four o'clock. We ended up sitting there for three hours in a closed meeting room. Jeez. There was nothing in front of us. We did not have a three-hour meeting scheduled. I'd never met this person before. There, there was no resume. <laughs> no resume. Like a guy that was introduced by a credible third party. And, you know, fast forward two years later, I'm still working on this project and, and very much excited by what we're doing. And I don't think any of that stuff, any of those opportunities would have come up. I think part of what drew us together at the outset on the, on the um, onset was that he, as a founder, had been through the exact same process I had been, right? So he was able to demonstrate a type of empathy coming from a real place for me. And I was so thankful for that. And I appreciated that this is somebody that was seeing me and I was actually seeing value in me where at a time that I wasn't seeing a lot of value in myself. And so I don't think that we would have built trust so deeply so early. I don't think that I would have gotten the opportunity to have the seat at the table that I have now. And I don't think I would have been so deeply invested in the work that I'm doing if I did not clear myself of all of those other stories that I was telling myself and all these other lightweight interactions and conversations and networking or whatever you want to call it. Right. A t- thousand of relationships with only a handful. Like Brene's got six. Realistically, yeah. you can only count on a few people There's to not really, that many. Not that many people. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so um that's one that I could not have projected turning out as well as it has, right? And so I'm so thankful for that process. It's also like having, or I mean, it's hard, but like having a belief that, hey, this thing sucks right now, but it's mm. going to work out. Mm. It's going to work out because I have a certain drive. I'm, I wasn't afraid before. I'm going to look at opportunities and mm. see what happens. Just mm. having that belief that, yes, it mm. there doesn't look like there's blue skies right now, but it will it will. Like, well, you will figure it out. It will work out. You'll find people who can actually help you. Fortune favors the bold. Are there any favorite business books that uh, you gifted or that were extremely impressive for you? Hmm. Or it could be also personal. Yeah, you know, so I try not to read too many business books. Like there are a couple of classics, like Good to Great, like that sort of thing or Crossing the Chasm. They're like some handbooks where you're like, okay, this is like studied, you know, by an academic 
over generations of business. And so they end up distilling wisdom about how people work. But I think I find the most interesting stuff is in, in other places, right? So like, you know, you really want to study business. You should read Siddhartha by Herman Hess, right? Mm-hmm. This, the somewhat fictional story of the Buddha. Right. right. And it's all, you know, it's, it's written as deep allegory, which then teaches you all these other things. And especially as someone, I think of myself more as a marketer than anything else. I'm interested in the human condition. I'm interested in communication. I'm interested in persuasion. And so I tend to read that sort of stuff. I read biology, right. I'll read history. I read sociology. Um, so I may be atypical in that sense. That's super cool. But I find those to be more interesting and they really get to the core of what I want to know as I'm developing my work, which is like, how do we work? What is known about us, mm-hmm. right? And all the nuanced ways in which we interact with each other and expect things from each other and even understand each other. Yeah, this is very interesting. And I mean, not a lot of people would be reading that. Mm-hmm. They would be probably following, hey, what are the 10 steps I could apply yeah. with my marketing tomorrow? Listicles. <laughs> like, like listicles are such a perversion of information because you're like, oh, there's 13 of something? Like, get, <laughs> let me get on that. Thank goodness. I'm going to turn this into a checklist. I'm going to read them. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to cross them off and I'm, I'm learned. You know? Everybody wants a checklist. Right. It makes you feel a sense of completion, which is like a type of information porn, right? Because yes. like we want a finality. And so you just give someone a fake finality and that seems to suit them. I totally agree. Where's everybody can find you online? Oh my God, I'm a marketer. So if I can't be found, I'm a terrible marketer, <laughs> right? But type in Marlon, M-A-R-L-O-N. Um, things come up. I'm more active on some prof- uh, some places than others. Um, I also need to like kick myself in the pants and like write more um, under my own name. You have like, good you have good articles in Medium and you reposted them on LinkedIn. Those are really good. Yeah, and and I want to do much more of that. This is like an aspect of me getting out of my own way, um, maybe clearing a little bit of time to do the the sit down, but also just to get into the habit of shipping. Um, so hopefully, in the future, when someone listens to this, even when I'm listening to it. There's like actually a body of work to look at on on my blog. Um, just things that I'm thinking about. I don't want to write more marketing things, but just things I've noticed. Um, but otherwise, I'm I'm fairly easy to find. I'm also six foot tall guy with a beard walking around <laughs> Toronto. So you can probably just point at me. <laughs> don't chase me down on the street though. That's super weird. Yeah, just make sure that doesn't happen. Hopefully not. Well, what we'll do, what I'll do is I'll link all the all the accounts, the usuals, the usuals, the, the show notes. will attach a good picture. Cool. So everybody could recognize how you look. Cool. So my last question, Merlin, where, what impact would you like to have on the world with the work you're doing? Hmm. You know, um, I, I don't know. I think that this is one that I'll understand in hindsight, but I really hope that I've helped people feel more empowered in the risks they take for themselves and for the people they care about. And maybe that's the work they do um, directly. Um, maybe it's the example they create in the work they're doing, right? How they do what they do. Um, but I, I just hope that I'm a net positive at the end of it. That's a great statement. Merlin, it was an absolute pleasure to have you here on the show. Thank you so much. I totally loved your thinking. We went far into the weeds, <laughs> which was awesome. Yeah, uh, it, it was, it was great. Yeah, no, that was great. Thanks for the time. Well, that was an awesome interview, wasn't it? If you guys liked the interview with Merloon, 
go on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I would totally appreciate it. That means a lot to me for keep doing the podcast and I'm always interested in hearing from you. If you have feedback, you can also email me directly. I'll have the link in the show notes just below the episode if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or if you're listening on po in Pocket Casts or any other apps app, you will have it down below and I'll have more exciting guests coming for you in the next episodes. But thanks for listening and I will see you in the next one.